This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Matthew. And I'm Molly. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. Today, thanks to listener Beth, we are talking about salad spinners. Yeah, and uh, I'm excited for this, even though I don't own a salad spinner, although I think I used to. Let me start with memory lane. Okay. I think at one point we had the OXO salad spinner, and I think like it just didn't survive a move or a purge at some point. We're like, we're just not spinning enough salads. And I, I got to say, that must have been a long time ago, because yeah. for as long as I've known you, you have lived in this apartment. So if it's if it was a move that that caused the Oxo salad spinner to leave your kitchen, that was a while ago. I might have been like we I mean we've moved a few times in Seattle, just not anytime recently. And we're very old. So so yeah. like this could have happened in like the nineties. Yeah, it could have. I, I think probably we got rid of the salad spinner in the nineties. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well so uh, thank you for, for teeing that up for me because okay. I so I grew up with a salad spinner in the house and it never occurred to me to not have a salad spinner. Oh, did my parents have a salad spinner? I think yes, at least at some point, do you think but they I'm not still positive. Do? I think my mom has a salad spinner. Okay. I think it, so. I mean, she makes salads pretty often. It absolutely has never occurred to me to not have a salad spinner. In fact, I think when I was setting up my first apartment in grad school and I like went to Ikea and, sure. you know, bought like uh, like a box grater for cheese and cutting boards and all that stuff that you get for your first apartment at Ikea. Thanks for specifying what a box grater is for. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, some people use it for zucchini. Yeah, for no, zucchini sometimes bread. I grate carrots. Um, we should cu- do a box cucumber, grater maybe? episode. We should do a box <laughs> grater. Like a grater, graters in general. Just box grater? Sorry. Just box graters. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, but um, I had, I think I had a salad spinner from Ikea, which, you know, we'll get the job done, but it's not great. We'll talk more about this. But anyway, I have always had a salad spinner. 
and how well I, there's so much to talk about like uh, you put okay. you put like six pages of, of salad spinner <laughs> lore and and legend yeah. yes um i think that the first time it ever occurred to me that some people live without salad spinners was i think i was i think i was well into my 20s maybe I even think my like late 20s possibly a majority of people in the world live without salad I think, spinners i think you're right but hold on here i think I, unicef is working on this <laughs> I think that um, the first time this really occurred to me was watching my friend Ben, who is an avid home cook. I mean, I would say like right up there with you, Matthew, like cooks at least one meal a day and does it in a way that is more complicated than the kind of cooking I usually do. Ben bakes all of his own bread and has for years, loves a good project. Anyway, when I was first getting to know Ben, I was shocked to discover he did not own a salad spinner. And the way that he washed or the way that he dried his lettuce was he would lay out a dish towel on the countertop, put his lettuce in it and like pull the corners all together like a little like a little pouch you know and then he would like stand outside and like swing it around like a lasso that that's kind of cool i think well i was just like okay for one thing even with the fabric right to catch the water that is that is sort of uh you know centrifuged off Mm -hmm. the the leaves even with fabric there you still get lightly sprayed Sure. Which and can be refreshing in summer. The other thing is, like, you just, you can't possibly spin it around as fast as a salad spinner. Sure. And so, Ben, who is a self-proclaimed lettuce queen, <laughs> and he, ben, ben identifies as a straight man and a lettuce queen. Okay. Somehow, if this is okay with Ben, that his lettuce doesn't get totally dry. I mean, Ben, g- give us a call. Have you, uh, yeah, call into the show on our on our call listener into, call in line. Yeah, this episode is is, is definitely not going to air the same day that we're recording it. But give us a call on my phone number. <laughs> okay. And let's talk about, about how your lettuce but is. But you haven't already had this conversation with Ben about why he doesn't have I a salad spinner? I definitely have, and somehow he's like fine with it. Okay. Maybe he does now. So in the time since, so Ben got married a few years ago and there is a chance that maybe his wife brought a salad spinner into the house. You think she was like, it's time to grow up now, man. Yeah. Yeah. Or either that or they registered for it. Who knows? Uh, He may have a salad spinner now, but he spent years being very fond of lettuce and not having a salad spinner. Have you ever thought about the sad fact that like for centuries people made salads possibly before the salad spinner was invented? Although I realize we're going to get into the history and I don't know when it was invented. No, no, we're going to get into this. Let's just dive right in. Okay. so I I saw on Wikipedia and I have I just have to put this out there that apparently some people call salad spinners salad tossers. I, I. Anyone can edit Wikipedia. Fine. Okay. Okay. Let's just say that this is Wikipedia punking us. So if you're not familiar with salad spinners. What do you think it's called in French? Are we going to get there? Oh, um, I'm trying to remember. It might be one of those. Shoot. There's something that's called a Moulinex, Mm. like named after the French company Moulinex. I think that's like a a mixer of some kind. Yeah, I feel like that's like what we would call a Cuisinart or food processor. Yeah, do not get those confused. (laughs) Okay, hold on. 
So if you're not familiar with salad spinners, what you need to do here is picture a large plastic bowl, mm-hmm. ideally with a grippy uh, kind of rim, a grippy foot mm-hmm. on it to hold it onto the counter. And in that plastic bowl is a plastic colander. And then there's a cover that sits on top that has a spinning mechanism that can rotate the inner colander rapidly. Okay. So this this spinning drives the water out through the holes of the colander and and they and it goes to the the you know the bottom of the outer bowl. In your research, did you determine like what RPM you can get out of a salad spinner? No, but why didn't I find out? I don't know. About I just that? thought of it now. You know, if you go to the so uh, I did spend some time reading the most recent wire cutter reviews. Oh, nice. We'll talk more in a minute about their favorite salad spinner, but they seemed to feel that it. I'm amazed they didn't measure the yeah. RPMs. Let's just they, say ten thousand. Okay. Great. This thing goes zero to 70 in 45 seconds. There was there was a time in my childhood when I could have told you could have named like almost any car and I could tell you how long it took to go from zero to 60. This is fascinating. When did that end? I don't know. When I was like 11, maybe. When did you when did you decide furthermore that you were someone who just didn't need a car? Oh, 98. Okay, so like two years after moving to Seattle. Uh, well, it was when we moved to New York. When oh, okay. Because then we moved. Yes. We, we didn't have a car in New York, and then we moved back. We and decided like, to try not having this. one. Look at that. And we're still trying it. You're still trying it. It's working so far. Okay, so Matthew, you wrote a question on the agenda. Is a salad spinner technically a centrifuge? Okay, yeah. And yes. What is is a centrifuge is anything that uses centrifugal force to solve a problem? Is that right? Let's go with that definition. Okay. Yeah. So by that by that definition of Ferris wheel, no, well, a merry-go-round? I, I no, I think that maybe a centrifuge uh maybe we're we're building to a working definition here, but maybe it's used Maybe the idea is using centrifugal force to separate something yes. from something else, yes. right? Because I'm thinking about like when I worked in, in this corn genetics lab at Stanford, uh-huh. one of my jobs was putting tiny little pip- pipettes. That's what the, oh, course, the little yeah. like bullet shaped containers are, right? Yeah. Putting those into a centrifuge and spinning them to basically, is it precipitate out? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Corn DNA is the little is the little thing uh, the is little test a tube of pi, a pipette. No, it's definitely a precipitate, and you you create a pellet, right? A pipetman's thumb. Because the pipette is like the thing the that you that you like oh, dispense the liquid. Is what you dispense. The I think it's just with. called like a centrifuge tube, maybe. Maybe you'd, yeah, maybe it's just a tube. So here's the here's the very uh, <laughs> hilarious thought that I was, ha- was having while you yeah. were <laughs> explaining that is like by our definition, if you made a Ferris wheel that was fast, <laughs> not a Ferris wheel. I keep saying Ferris wheel when I mean merry-go-round. If you made a merry-go-round that was fast enough that it would make children's shoes fly off, like the kids would be <laughs> holding a on. That would be a centrifuge because you would se- be separating children from their shoes. Yeah. You'd then collect the shoes and sell them on the black market or okay. the dark web. So we've got some some scientists. I mean, people who are who are. <laughs> You mean more, the two of us. Who are more real scientists than we are. Uh, who, who, let us know. How's our definition, guys? Call into the call. To, call to into the show. the show. Have you ever like made a made a kid's shoes just like go blasting off? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but so a salad spinner is a centrifuge. It okay. uses centrifugal force to separate water from the leaves. All right. Okay. Anyway, so let's get into the history here because as you can imagine, there have been many different ways of drying lettuce over the years. All right, yeah. I didn't find much like pre-1800s. Probably open fire before that. 
thought you meant like <laughs> open fire, like <laughs> yes, yeah. shooting something like, out of a gun. <laughs> right, a bunch, <laughs> a bunch of of stern men in blindfolds <laughs> fire <laughs> simultaneously at a head of lettuce. <laughs> Okay. All right. Okay. So there have been devices to wash and <laughs> the lettuce would get one last cigarette. <laughs> but the, which also helps to dry it. Yeah, yeah. The the that little bit of heat from the <clears throat> the lit cigarette. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there have been devices to wash and dry lettuce <laughs> since the 19th century. And one of them I've actually seen. Okay. And I may still have it in my house. I didn't want to get up from the table to go open the closet and look. But so once Brandon was doing some thrift shopping and found some really cool like wire cooling racks, you know, with interesting designs and sure. things. And one of the things he brought home l- sort of looked like a cooling rack, but it wasn't a cooling rack. It turns out it was a wire basket dryer. Okay. And it's like a collapsible colander with these wire handles. And you can put lettuce in it and kind of pull the handles up around it and spin it around like Ben did with his dish towel bundle. Yeah. So it's like it's like a human powered centrifuge. That's right. So you probably want to wear like rain gear while Mm -hmm. operating that. I imagine actually we have a number of listeners who have seen those or who maybe grew up with a grandparent using them or something. Yeah, or grew up in like a quaint village where like yes. you could go out before dinner time and see Spin. and see people spinning salads. Yes, there was there was a different activity for each time of day. Churning butter was <laughs> right. in the morning. Uh, breaking okay. horses. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. Another Gardy Lou <laughs> <laughs> was a popular game. <laughs> a playing Snapdragon. <laughs> <A> snapdragon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which episode is that from? Is that from like Raisins Maybe. or Brandy or Flaming I it's, Games? I, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Dangerous Games. It was, from, it was from our Flaming Games episode. <laughs> oh, it was from our Dangerous Game episode. And then, then I was like, where Chris Isaac sang a song, uh, but that's Wicked like, Games. <laughs> dangerous Games sounds like a movie we would have watched for Dire Desires, it does, right? It does. Okay. Anyway, there was another product that was similar. It was like a wire lettuce dryer that was designed to be used in your sink. It had like suction cup feet. You okay. put your lettuce in it. Like a lizard. And then there was some sort of a pump that you would pump to make the basket spin around this like center post. Again, sounds like there would be water Everywhere. So it's, that's just a, a salad spinner without the outer bowl. That's basically. right. Okay. And and that's designed to like suction itself onto your sink. Anyway, however, I think that like the low tech way that probably all of us have done from time to time, whether or not you have a salad spinner, is to use either dish towels or paper towels to dry your yes. Your and that's that's how I do it. Like I put. I put my greens on a dish towel, Mm -hmm. and then I put another dish towel on top and press down gently, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't work very well. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> or I uh, I ignore the, uh, the... Also, you, you wait, you don't have a lot of counter space. That also takes up a lot of counter space in the moment that you're doing it. I'll do it, it. I'll do do it do? like on the little breakfast bar here. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, but also, usually what I will do is buy uh, like pre-washed salad greens, which yes. I'm putting in quotes because uh, they... Well, I, I, think, I think the current do you, advice do you is, wash that, those? is that 
Uh, I think you're. I think it, we were told that we were supposed to, and then I think maybe the current advice is like that washing salad greens doesn't actually get rid of pathogens. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was doing this research, you know, Wikipedia went to great pains to tell me how important it is to wash my lettuce because of listeria and E. coli and stuff. But I'm sorry, like, do, do those things like really just get washed off easily with a little swish in the water? I don't know. It doesn't seem like they would. Hey, Sci- scientists, we, call yeah, us. scientists, call in, please. But anyway, we have the French to thank for the modern oh. salad spinner. Uh, in the early 1970s, there was this guy named Jean Mantelet. Oh, who yeah, who was the founder of the French company Moulinex. <laughs> Did you like I said as if I had heard of yeah, Jean yeah, Montalet? Yeah. I think I was thinking of Jean de Floret. Uh, oh God, I haven't. Is that from the same series as Manon de la Source? Or yeah, like yeah, Manon the, of the Spring. The series or of two. Yeah, the series of two. Yeah, I watched both of those. They're great. They're, I, they're I, devastating. I had to watch them for like French class or something. And with like Yves Montand as the villain. Maybe? Is that right? I should watch them again. Yeah, they're really good. Okay, well, anyway, here we go. Let's keep going. The, this guy, who was the founder of the French company Moulinex, in 1970, I think, or 71, he filed a patent for something he called a salad dryer, which was a hand-operated, cent- centrifugally driven device. And apparently it had a central post that the, uh, you know, the thing... Like an axle. Yes, I guess so. And it didn't have a removable basket. Another French inventor... Gilbert Fuinto. Wow. Uh-huh. That I, I kept reading over that name because it looks Fuinto. like a little a little misspelled. It looks yeah, it doesn't doesn't look quite right. Right. He came along in 1973 and filed a patent for the thing that most resembles today's spinners. So, a uh, thing that you know was an what outer- is the thing that most resembles today's spinners? <laughs> um, uh, basically, this thing with an outer bowl. An inner colander, no central post. Although I do think some salad spinners have a central post, but most don't anymore, right? Yeah, because the the drive is like around the outside. The drive is like uh, it it sort of latches onto the inner colander, but the drive is attached to the the cover. But there is like a central like bump, right? Yeah, it's not it's not a post that goes all the way up through, but it's like a little bump that stabilizes it. Okay, yeah. okay, fair enough. Anyway, okay, so in 1974, the Mooley Manufacturing Company uh, was the first one to introduce this thing that they called the salad dryer into the oh, American market. I would have guessed the 80s. No, no, it was uh, 1974. And of course, as we should, many people scoffed at it, saying it was just like another kitchen gadget, which of course it is. But it sold really well anyway. Like, sales quadrupled, like, overnight. And apparently they sold half a million units just in 1978. Are they still popular? Uh, I'm not sure. Because, like, I, I can think of, like, like sometimes there's, like, a like a trendy food item, like the Misto olive oil mister that, like, you oh. know, suddenly everybody buys it and then never thinks about it ever again. But salad spinners, I think, are still, I think the probably there was, like, spinner. a peak and then it, then it, like, plateaued at a lower level that's continued to this day, is my guess. That's my guess, too. Uh, you know, like, the thing is, is that it even eventually appealed to skeptics because it does save time. It gets your leaves drier than, you know, the old dish towel method. Yep. And you can also 
and I didn't really think about this till I was researching the episode, but you also can wash the lettuce in here. Okay. That makes sense. So we're gonna we're gonna talk more about that. But anyway. You just yeah. you just fill it with water, you put in your leaves, you swish them around, and then you start spinning it. <laughs> right? Well, so what I did read is that like some people so the way should yeah. I talk about how I use it? Please. So the way that I tend to use it is when I get a head of lettuce. I separate the leaves. Don't get ahead of yourself. Oh, my God. When I get a head of lettuce or like a bunch of, I don't know, arugula or something Mm -hmm. in my CSA box in the summer, I separate the leaves, put them in here, add lots of cold water so that it's full and the leaves are floating. Then I put my hand in and just gently swish, swish. Yeah, I'm excited to see this. Then I lift the colander out so and the dirt falls to the bottom of the big bowl. I lift the colander out, dump that water and the dirt out of the big bowl, and then spin it. Now, I did read, though, that on Wikipedia, apparently some people do that, but instead of swishing with their hand, they will actually spin this thing. Oh, so which like... had never occurred to me. So your, so your salad greens, like, go through, like, a whirlpool. Yeah, they, like, go through a wash cycle and then a dry cycle. Have I... Do I remember right that some people say that they, like, put salad greens in their dryer on, like, no heat, like, in a bag? Oh, I'm sure that's been written up somewhere, like, in a lingerie bag or whatever. It sounds very, like, a very sexy way because of the lingerie bag. (laughs) (laughs) If you throw a bra in there. (laughs) Um, I have never tried it. No, I haven't either. It feels dangerous. And to we me. are we have like uh, you know, laundry in the basement of our building and the dryer does not have a no heat setting, but I think I'm going to try it anyway. Oh. <laughs> Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I want to talk about the spinning mechanisms because people are so opinionated about this. I think when I was a kid, we had like a crank on top. That which sounds is, right. That's the way that the first salad spinners were marketed in the 70s. And I remember the crank sort of being in the middle of the top. And I remember like holding yeah, the yeah. entire bowl of course. like in my arms as I cranked with one hand and stabilized it against my body. Do you it remember that? It like there's a lot of things that used to have, like, like cranks used to be a lot more <laughs> there common. There's so many more cranks, cranks than right? there are now. Yeah. Like, yeah, what else did you used to have to crank? Um, like a, a telephone. Yeah, like you used to have to crank a telephone. <laughs> what are you talking about? Didn't you have to like ring and ring? Yeah, that does that does seem like a thing they would see in an old movie. Um, um what else did we? I have don't to know. Crank? Like, I can't. I, egg beaters. I, yes, exactly. And uh, now they're and now egg beaters are gasoline powered. <laughs> and what else? Is there a motorized? 
salad spinner? It seems yes, like there should there be. There are electric ones for industrial settings. Oh, nice. Yeah, and apparently they work really well. And, and apparently, if you're a kid, you that is going to be an attractive nuisance, right? Because you're going to want you and your dumb friends are going to want to get in there. Well, so at Delancey, when I was working there, and I'm sure they still have it, but we had like a super huge salad spinner. It was bright green and it had a crank top. It was probably like four four to five times as tall as a regular salad spinner. Yes. So you would put it in like a deep, you know, stainless, you know, industrial sink and you'd crank that thing. And it seriously sounded like a jet taking off. Oh, wow. Like it was so loud. You should have brought that. It was kind of exhausting. Okay. So I grew up with the old crank. <laughs> and how, then. How can you talk about Tony DeCroy? <laughs> and then at a certain point, I. I got the OXO one with the pump top, yep. which is wire cutter's favorite. I think that it's kind of like the one to have these days. I think a lot of people have it. I mean, OXO generally makes yeah. really good stuff. But I got rid of my OXO one with the pump because I felt like it didn't spin very fast. Whereas you've now you've got the Xylus. Now with the I pull have cord. a Xylus with a pull cord, which apparently a lot of people hate. People find that the pull cord gets soggy what hmm. like I, my pull cord never even gets wet what are they doing i'm not sure can the, i try pulling the it? only thing is you you have to use one hand to stabilize the thing oh this is very satisfying it's quite satisfying right i, I think a lot of people have reported I want, I want it to have more resistance kind of oh there we go uh. well it will if you put stuff in it oh that makes sense yeah yeah, rotational inertia. Anyway, I feel like this one is every bit as good as my Xylus one. I mean, excuse me, every bit as good as my OXO one. But apparently people hate this because they say that, like, the cord breaks. You can see if you pull the cord the wrong way, as my spouse has done a couple of times, the heat of the cord Wow, I was going to ask him, like... Fully, like, melt the plastic so on cool. top of here. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, I have a couple of notches in the top of my salad spinner from where my spouse has pulled the cord in the wrong direction and the friction has burned through the plastic. Okay, which has more notches, your salad spinner or your bed post? <laughs> oh you knew God. I was going to ask. Yeah, okay. Um, wait, I have an important question that maybe you're getting to. Yeah. Why is there a stop button? What, oh. what emergency are you trying? Or is it? Or does it like fling more juice off that way? Like I don't what, think it flings more juice off. I don't why, know. The, why, do you, why can't you there's, just like wait it for, wait for it to run down? There's a stop button. Why? I don't know. People <laughs> want, want to be able to stop and start their salad spinners. I, I guess. It seems like it, like it's an emergency break for a non-existent type Here, of emergency. Here, try pulling it. Okay. Okay, start it up. Don't. You, the one thing you have to watch out with with the pull cord is you could get a little friction burn there on your hand. Oh, yeah. Be careful. I don't want that. Okay, now, Matthew, stop it. Hit the stop. Oh. Okay, that was pretty satisfying. Right? But like if I had waited six more seconds, it would have stopped by itself. Maybe. I don't know. I, I love this thing. I can't imagine not having a salad spinner. And yet I concede it is bulky. Uh, I'll probably get some sort of a rope burn at some point from the friction. Sure. But I haven't yet. How often do you use it? Well, in the summer, so for the past few years, we've gotten a CSA box. Yeah, I guess it and is we very get, seasonal. We get greens every week then in the summer. And so I use it every week, sometimes multiple times a week. Okay. Can we like pause here and, and, and I can try, it? I can try like actually uh, spinning some salad? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, should we try both my method of washing uh -huh. and, and the people's method? Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay here we go. 
All right. We so, need to bring you up to date on yeah. what we've done. What have we done? I've got some, uh, that's, oh, our new segment, what have we done? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, we put several children in, a, in an industrial salad spinner. <laughs> and um, their shoes came off. And, Surprise! <laughs> so, success on the centrifuge front. Yeah. Probably by the time you hear this, the trial will be underway. Yeah. Um, so, we, uh, I took some salad mix uh, out of the fridge and accidentally put it in the cupboard. <laughs> And but then I uh, I reversed that action and uh, we washed washed the salad greens in a lot of cold water yep, in then, the salad spinner tub. And now we but we didn't we didn't uh, you swished with your fingers. We I swished with my fingers. OK, here we go. And okay. now we're going to spin it. Oh, you get to spin it. OK, this is satisfying. <laughs> like condensate. It's not condensation, but but uh, droplets are collecting on the side. You're not using the stop button. Okay, okay now hold on. Something I often do is I will then take the bowl out, shake it around, and give it a spin again. Okay. I get it. Can you feel the speed? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. It's do real, you want to press the stop button? It's a real zero to 60 moment. Okay, Matthew. Let's see. I don't think this is going to be a lot drier than your leaves. I'll be honest. Uh, this is pretty impressive, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, enough to make you want to buy a salad spinner? No. Uh, yeah, these are pretty dry. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> now, yeah, now we're just eating plain leaves. Mmm, that's tasty, though. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a salad in a while. So, should, mm. we, should we now, like, try the, the two-dish uh, towel method? Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, this is nice. Right. Mm. Okay. So, show me what you would usually do mm-hmm. if I were not here. With my handy dandy salads. Okay, so I wash my leaves. And would you usually wash them in a colander or what would you do? Yeah, well, no, I think I would usually wash them in like a bowl and then just kind of hold on to them and pour the water out. Okay, okay. And then you kind of spread them out so they're in a single ish layer. Mm-hmm. And press pretty gently. Pat, pat, pat the baby. <laughs> Put the baby in the salad spinner. What the hell? Don't aren't you gonna pat it some more? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Look at this nonsense. Oh my god. Hold on. Okay. This is not it. This is not. This is insufficient. Oh. Hang on. I think Molly's gonna do the over the head swinging. Oh god, I'm afraid of this. Sin. <laughs> yes. Oh wow. No, I just got sprayed. <laughs> I think I think I sort of want a salad spinner now because my method is bad. Okay. Mm, this, that didn't work very well either. Now we've got bruised salad. We got bruised salad with just the lightest coating of, of fresh Seattle water. Mm. Okay, so I think we, what have we learned? I know we're not done. I gotta but, be honest, I think a salad spinner is better than no salad spinner. It, and, it does seem that way. And even though the people on Wire Cutter don't like my salad spinner, I think my salad spinner is doing great. And again, they didn't like it because of the injuries? They didn't like it because apparently it breaks often. Okay. I've had this literally, I have possibly had this since my first wedding. Maybe we had the pull cord one and the cord broke. Is that possible? It seems right. I mean, I think if you're going to buy a new one, it seems like the general consensus these days is that OXO one with like the pump on top. I put a picture in the agenda. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even really talked about why it's so important to dry your lettuce. Yeah. Take it away, Matthew. Well, like... 
I agree that if uh, if there is too much water on your lettuce before you dress it, your salad will suck. Like it, it, it's tr- it's truly hard to describe how it much just, it ruins a salad. Like even no matter how good your dressing is, it will taste like nothing. It's crazy how much it, it will just taste like all nothing. Falls off. Anyway, so I don't know. I just feel like the other thing is Matthew. I mean, you you see that it you know it comes with that little colander, which is handy. Yeah, buy a salad spinner, get a free colander. <laughs> Uh, my kid once mixed up a whole bunch of potions in it, in the bowl of it. Did it get, like, with food coloring and stuff? No, not with food coloring. She used all of my, uh, like, my face wash products. <laughs> oh, okay. And I kind of lost my shit because if there's one thing I actually, like, spend money on, it's, some, like, face wash. Some Aesop's went in there. Uh, my kid basically took a brand new bottle of an Aesop cleansing oil mm-hmm. and dumped the entire thing in the salad spinner with some squirts of toothpaste and water and some soap. But now the good news is now all of your salads have a, a faint flavor of, of like black pepper. The good news is, is my tree. family now has a really good story about that time Molly lost her shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really... Um, I really I don't have a lot of like rage moments as yeah. a parent, but for some reason, like that was more than I could handle that day. Yeah, I can understand that. The hardest part was that, you know, I like to let her do stuff like that. Like she just disappeared into the bathroom for like 45 minutes with a with <laughs> salad spinner uh-huh. and a whole bunch of containers. And she was really into making potions. Per- perfume oh, and per- potions and things at the time. And I was like, what's the worst that could happen? She should read that book, Perfume. Well, like $50 later, uh-huh. I knew the worst that could happen. Uh, thankfully, Aesop was cheaper back then. <laughs> it, it, would, it would be even worse now. <laughs> anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what have we learned? I, yeah, I kind of want the salad spinner now. Maybe this summer. I'll think about it. I'll think sit about on it. it. Think about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fairly inexpensive. It does take up space, though. It takes up space. Maybe I could uh, I store some other things in it. Dude, you've got some cabinets that, like, have one bowl in them. That's true. But then where would I put that bowl? Inside the salad spinner. Okay. But what if I forgot to take it out? Oh then the God. bowl would start spinning. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, should we move on to segments? Let's move on to segments. All right, let's start with spilled mail. All right, so this one comes from listener Robin, and she writes, I remember in a long ago episode, Molly mentioning that she did not like a particular famous food writer's recipes. His name rhymes with Bark Fitman. Though this particular writer's books were useful for me in learning to cook as a young person, I think I know what you mean in regards to how his recipes are written. I recently re-listened to the episode and it made me curious, what in your opinions makes a recipe good or bad? Do you have any recipe pet peeves? Any recipe writers you particularly like or dislike? I have so many thoughts on this. They're going to be very scattered. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. The first thing that comes to mind, and this is so important to me, and like I people like fail to do it so often, and it drives me nuts, is put the whole recipe on one page of the book or, or an open spread. Mm. And like make that like the top priority of your cookbook design. Because mm. if you have to flip back and forth 
to like, you know, what, how much, how many tablespoons God, of sugar was I supposed to point. use? I've never thought of it. And yet I have suffered the annoyance you're describing. And the books that come to mind, like there, there is a cookbook called One Potato, Two Potato by Roy Finnamore, who is a, uh, I think really is like a cookbook editor, but has written a couple of his own cookbooks. Mm-hmm. And clearly like he insisted on this, mm-hmm. that all of his recipes are fit on one page and are just so clearly written. And it's, mm. it's just a nice cookbook with a bunch of potato recipes in it. I think it is rare these days to find a cookbook that goes to the trouble to put all the recipe or to put the whole recipe on one page. Yeah. That's very rare in my And experience. I know like it I probably uses more paper if you do it that way and paper is money, but still. Well, but people are throwing in all these photographs and stuff. I mean, couldn't they throw in the mm-hmm. photographs mm-hmm. W- with an eye toward keeping recipes, you know, either on one page or one spread? I think they could. I think they could too. Okay, that's that's one thing for me. I have others, but okay. go ahead. So I think that one of the things that made me really irritated with uh, Bark Fitman recipes uh, is that he, I feel like, just leaves salt out of recipes mm-hmm. a lot. Like recipes where you obviously need salt, like pancakes. For the love of everything holy, yes. people, you must put salt in your pancake batter. I remember one time accidentally leaving salt out of pancakes and being so disappointed. It, they're terrible. Yeah. They're terrible. And I can tell you for a fact that years ago, when I was still kind of like trying to find my perfect pancake recipe, I made Bark Fitman's mm-hmm. and... It had no salt in it. And I was just like, how does this happen? Yeah. Like at that time he was writing for the New York Times and I was like, we must do better. Yeah. So it drives me crazy when people leave. Also, I have really loved the Canal House cookbooks that came out like 10 to 15 years ago. It was this really small operation done by Melissa Hamilton Mm -hmm. and Christopher Hirschheimer. But they often left salt out of their like pastry and and sweets recipes. And I was like, "Why why are you doing that? And usually, oh, Nigel Slater does it occasionally, too. And these are all people I should say I I admire and I I continue to use these Canal House books. But I feel like I always have to have this little voice of wisdom on my shoulder that's like, don't forget to put the salt in there because so many dessert and pastry and like sweet breakfast recipes don't call for salt. Okay, here's another one that comes to mind for me. When you're writing the recipe, make it clear in the ingredients which things are going to be added together. Mm. Because otherwise, you end up using more uh, prep bowls than necessary when you could be throwing things into the same bowl. And mm. it's just it just feels like more of a mental load if uh, if you can't uh, kind of collapse ingredients in your mind into like, here's here's this group of sauce ingredients. And, you know. I think that I think that the the joy of cooking used to do that. Okay. At least like I, I remember the joy of cooking that I first got was the nineteen ninety seven version, which I think a lot of people hated. But it always did that. It's pretty common in Japanese cookbooks for them to group ingredients and call it like group one or group B and ah. just say in the recipe like add B. Which I really like. That makes so much sense. That is so, oh, that's so smart. As that's, long as it's on one page so I don't have to go back to the previous page yes. to see what's in group B. Yeah, the joy of cooking definitely didn't do it that way. But they would be like, you know, if you're looking at a pancake recipe, for instance, they would be like, you know, um, whisk together flour, baking soda, baking powder, and salt. And then like in a separate bowl, mix together, blah, blah, blah. So they would list the ingredients. Yeah. 
within the narrative of the recipe so that you knew exactly what went with what. Yeah, I think this is something that you see more often with baking recipes, Mm -hmm. but could be done more often with savory cooking recipes. Okay, yeah, yeah. For some reason, the other thing that came to mind for me was also salt related. I noticed that in a lot of savory dishes, especially among sort of uh, like a kind of California, like farm to table cooking kind of school of, of food writers, they do not give you a measure, like a basic measurement for salt. Right. So they'll just say add salt to taste. But maybe you're doing something like making a custard for a quiche. Well, I don't want to taste quiche custard raw. So it kind of drives me crazy when a recipe calls for salt to be added, but they don't give you like a base amount to start with. Right. Uh, And that Uh, happens more often than you would think. And you put one other thing on here that I totally agree with. And I Uh, I don't think I have any other ideas of my own. Okay. So often a cookbook will say, um, you know, bring to a simmer and cook for 10 minutes, then add the beans or whatever. But they don't tell you what the food should look like or smell like or taste like or feel like so that you know that 10 minutes is like the right amount of time for your stove or your particular thing. So it bothers me when recipes just give a length of time to cook something without teaching you what you're looking for in the food to totally. know that you can move to yeah, the next Yeah, they don't step. know what brand of salad spinner you have. They don't. They don't. Or for instance, you know, like especially for instance, if you're, I don't think most recipes cooking beans do this, but like think about cooking beans from dried, like mm-hmm. how variable that yeah. is, you know? If you, if you're making a bean soup or something and you cook the beans for an hour and then you add the vegetables... Mm, who knows what state your beans are going to be in? Yeah, they could be in Nevada. Although I can, I can say I am guilty of having done this in my first book, A Homemade Life, with the recipe for Ed Fretwell soup. It was written that way when I first made it from this. Did Ed Fretwell like, soup appear on the uh, spilled milk drinking game that someone made many I years think ago? So. I'm pretty sure. Have, right? <laughs> pretty sure. But anyway, um, I, I know that I wrote that recipe that way. And the truth is, it's always worked for me that way. You know, yeah. you cook this thing for an hour, then you add this other thing. But usually I hate that. Yeah, but that, I mean, that recipe has got that Ed magic. It does. It has that Ed magic. All right. Well, thanks, Rob. That was a great question. That I hope, was a great I hope question. that gave you some ideas. And now it's time for Now But Wow. Matthew, it's your week to Now But Wow it. Okay. My Now But Wow this week is uh, it's something, I would say this is a challenging one. It is okay. an album called Diaspora Problems by a band called Soul Glow, which I was very pleased that I got the reference to. And, uh, they are definitely named for the hair care brand in the movie Coming to America. Yes. And they are <laughs> funny, but like very funny, clever wordsmiths. But it is a punk rock album, and they are a punk rock band in kind of the traditional sense in that they are angry. There's like, you know, I love punk rock. It is my favorite genre of music, but mostly what I mean when I'm talking about punk rock is something like Joyce Manor or Green Day or Jimmy Eat World that goes down really easy and like their guitars are a little crunchy and, you know, they listen to The Clash and they like The Clash, but they don't really have like a political point of view necessarily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Soul Glow has a political point of view. And I would say it is 
like you know it's louder than fuck and it sounds to me when i listen like the the sound that goes on in my head when i read the news mm-hmm. turned into music mm-hmm. um, oh, that and sounds so very uh, loud. and also like you know way way too uncommon among punk bands it is from an unapologetically black perspective nice. um and so if you're basically i would say if you're looking for the opposite of background music give soul glow a try like they're they're super talented and uh like you know make you sit up and think and it's also sometimes fun fantastic okay well, our producer is Abby Circatella. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. That is what you can do. You can also go to Reddit to chat with other Spilled Milk listeners. And that's at reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. Yeah, we got some nice feedback recently on our uh, non-alcoholic beer episode. Oh, we did? Yeah, oh, just nice. that people appreciated that uh, we talked about non-alcoholic beer and like gave it gave it its due. Oh, great. Awesome. All right. So until next time, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk. The show that's separating your ears from your brain <laughs> oh, no. every week. In a center, like you centrifuging some kids until their ears go flying off. Yep. I'm Matthew Amster Burton. And I'm Molly Weisenberg. Why aren't we talking about this on the show? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Put your headphones on. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.